Yes. Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff-free, unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action, helping others, and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Welcome back to Real Estate Coaching Radio. We are your humble, happy host, Tim and Julie Harris. I haven't said that in years, Julie. Um, and uh, <laughs> look, guys, I have a couple quick announcements for all of you. Um, first of all, I announced this last week, but I'll announce it again today. Yes, 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 finally, the audio version of Harris Rules will be coming out later this year. Uh, the publisher sold the audiobook rights to, I don't remember the name of the place, but supposedly the biggest audiobook publisher in the world. And they're going to be uh, producing the audiobook version, which should be coming out later this year. Hopefully, I'm guessing in the next uh, 60 to 90 days. But, you know, frankly, given my experience with publishers in general, it might be longer than that. That's announcement number one. Number two is, yes, we are going to be um, producing a new book, but we'll be talking more about that um, over the next few months. The book is going to be focused primarily on wealth building, on money, on finances, on investing in real estate, on all the other things that we touch on throughout this podcast, but we're really going to drill down on because we've noticed that you guys really like that content. And I know from having spent, you know, the past, I don't even know how many decades researching and exploring and, you know, sort of parsing through the good information for the bad information, I know how hard it is to find this information. So, the new book I'm really excited about, and um, Julie's uh, taken on the challenge of writing yet another book, because Harris Rules was mostly written by Julie. So for that, I say thank you, my dear. Yeah, of course. It will be my pleasure. <laughs> and uh, Third yeah, announcement. I, I think actually th- this is, this yeah. is going to be great. I am looking forward to it, and uh, you know they'll be hearing a little bits and pieces on the podcast, so that's something to look forward to. So back to you. Third announcement, and this one's really fun. So we are going, Julie and I are going to be um, in Dallas in August, and we're going to be in Arizona. I forget which month. Was that May, Julie? And, and if you May. guys would like yeah. to come, the, 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 the Dallas event is, is um, really exciting because we're going to be there with Tony Robbins, and we're going to be talking more about that. And one of the ways we're going to celebrate this event is that we are going to be giving away um, tickets to attend the event for free. And I'm going to be working on that campaign right now, but maybe I don't even need to create a campaign. Maybe all I need to do is basically throw out a slick text number, and you guys will then pursue it. That might just be what I do to save a lot of effort. But here's the bottom line. If you're going to want – if you would like to attend this event with us, we're going to be for free. Now, you're going to have to pay your own airfare and your own hotel and the rest of it. But the ticket sales are going to – I'm sure that the tickets will be sold out. There's going to be 3,000 people there. The tickets will be sold out probably within the first 24 hours, but we bought – we had to pay for a block of 100 tickets. So, um, you know, that cost us, I think, twenty or $30,000, and we're going to be giving those away. So look for an announcement and how you can get your free um, ticket, event ticket, and that's going to be coming sometime in the next couple of days. And you know what, Julie? I think I am just going to basically announce mm-hmm. it on this podcast so we can spoil our podcast listeners first. Go. And frankly, it'll save me a lot of effort having to create some fancy marketing around 
that event. So I think that is it's what we're going to do. So podcast listeners, mm-hmm. bonus coming your way. And third announcement before Julie gets to her presentation for today is that, um, yes, the free book, uh, Real Estate Treasure Map, is still available, of course. You can download it at any time. Just text the word Harris, H-A-R-R-I-S, text the word Harris to 31996. And when you do, you're going to be sent back an immediate link where you can just download the book. So you don't have to – there's no strings attached is what I'm saying. There's no additional formage. There's no additional this and that or hoops to jump through. You, you text the word H-A-R-R-I-S, the 31996, and we text you back a link. You click on the link, and you go directly to the download page, and you download the book. And it's also, by the way, you can download six other free books that we give you. Your 12-monthly generation plan seems to be one that people really like and things like that. But the treasure map is definitely the, fun, the absolute fundamental. Even if you guys were coaching clients, and many of you are, thousands of you are, we would have you do the treasure map first. That is basically establishing your roadmap for the next, usually at least the next 12 months, and then you want to reset, you want to sort of do the treasure map again so that you can reestablish your goals and expectations for yourself. And I, I'm going to, you know, before we move on to the uh, Julie's next point, I wrote this question down. This is something that Julie and I are going to do a podcast around, but it's an interesting concept. And here's the question, and I want you guys to – this question is designed to open your minds to what we're going to be talking about today. You're, some of you, most of you, have either written down or in your head goals for the next 12 months. Let's just say you have 12-month goals of things you want to accomplish. Some of you create five-year plans, and, but let's just focus on the 12 months. So the question I have for you is could you accomplish your 12-month goals in 90 days? Could you actually do it? Now, so I'll, I'll tell you where the thought came from. Last year, Julie and I, um, we wrote our 12-month goals down. Julie and I are big, avid you know, believers in goal setting. And in the treasure map, we walk you through the exact process that we go through ourselves. But, yeah, so we wrote our goals down at the beginning of you know, last year. And then we then got into probably about – it was about this time last year. And then we said to ourselves, what if we were to focus on accomplishing all of our 12-month goals by the end of June, you know, within 90 days or you know, 120 days or whatever? And we did. And then what that allowed us to do was we then created new goals for the following 12 months, and now we're well on our way of accomplishing all those as well. So here's what the, the interesting um, education for Julie and I on that was that even operating at the level that we hold ourselves accountable to, we still were inefficient in the manner and what we expected from ourselves. That's really the bottom line. I mean, Julie, am I, am I being too hard on us, or is that probably a fair No, I, I think you're right. I think it makes you question why do you give yourselves, the collective you, us included, why do we sometimes mm-hmm. give ourselves too much time to accomplish certain goals? Why are, you know, I, it even makes me, it even reminds me of closings. Why do you write a 60-day closing when you could do it in two weeks? It just means you have to work a little bit harder and be more organized. So, why do we do that? I, I think it's a form of procrastination, actually. Yeah, I do, too. Well, and ultimately, people – I'm writing something down. I'm sorry. Ultimately, people are, don't want the pressure. Yeah, they don't want the pressure, right? They don't want the pressure or they okay. think they can't accomplish it or they've never done anything like that before. So I'm just going to give that – I'm going to throw that out to you guys because when it comes to finances, which is what we're, the topic of today and yesterday's shows are about, is the finances are the things that, generally speaking, we give ourselves the most latitude towards accomplishing. And as a result of that, we never actually accomplish anything significant financially. You might have a few good months and sock away, you know, put a few more stakes in the freezer, you know, money in the bank, 
But then what happens is you have some bad months and the money that you saved that you thought was going to go towards, you know, something else is then used for uh, paying your bills and things like that. So this ebb and flow, this back and forth for a lot of people, especially in our business, but really for everyone, has become normal. People have just expected that that's how you're supposed to live. And then when they look around, they talk to all their friends. Everyone else is basically living the exact same way. And so they just assume that's normal. And then what happens is the insidious politicians start weaseling their way and their, you know, insidious thoughts into your head, making you believe that somehow somebody external, you know, is doing it to you. This party or that party or this set of beliefs or that set of beliefs is the reason that you can't get financially ahead. All this sort of bullshit manipulation. And what eventually will happen, not for all of you, but hopefully for some of you at least, is you're going to realize that ultimately everything that happens to you is your responsibility. And I mean the good, the bad, and the indifferent. Ultimate responsibility. If you're not where you want to be, if you're not who you want to be, if you're not hanging out with who you want to hang out with, if you're not eating the food you want to eat, if you don't look like all the things that happen to you are a result of your past decision-making. Um, and, and just to put this in perspective, this is really how, when Julie and I are coaching somebody, this is how really deep we go into that concept. I give the example, and I'll share it with all of you guys. If you're in a parking lot today, and you're going to Starbucks, whatever you're doing, and, um, you know, I was going to tell a story about seeing wild hogs when we were downtown, uh, when we were in San, <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, San Juan, when Julie and I were trying to find a Starbucks, we were driving around downtown San Juan, and actually saw about 10 wild hogs running around in the city, but we'll tell that story another day. (laughs) Yes, that happened. All right, so, but here's the thing. You park in the Starbucks, and let's say some, you know, nice dawdling old lady basically accidentally pulls out and just gives you a little bit of, you know, a little bit of damage on your car. Nobody's hurt, no damage, nothing. I'm not trying to give you guys any, you know, rabbit holes to go down uh, with your mind. So just normal thing. Now, clearly, she backed into you. It was her fault. She did not mean to do it, but it was, you know, by all measures, anyone seeing the accident would have said it was totally that lady's fault. And then what happens is then you feel a victim of basically that lady hitting you. Now, what I'll suggest to you is opposed to thinking like that, because that's an actually inferior way of thinking, reframe it in your mind and say to yourself, and I want you to you know, emotionally attach yourself to what I'm saying just so you can understand the concept. So if you believe you're the victim and this dawdling old lady hit you, do you you feel those feelings inside of you, the feelings of sort of resentment, the feelings of anger, the feeling of being attacked, the feeling of being a victim really is what I'm describing, right? Now, here's the reframing. You You chose to go to Starbucks at that time. You chose to park in that parking spot. You chose all the things that basically put you in that position at that very moment. You made that decision to be there. And so you ultimately are responsible for the fact that you were there at the time you chose to be there, parked where you chose to park, drove a car that, you know, for some reason she couldn't move, maneuver around the whole thing, and boom, it was your ultimate fault for having that incident happen to you. Now, I know this sounds counterintuitive, and maybe some of you think it sounds a little wacko, but what happens on the other side of that? Ask yourself how you feel. Now you feel responsible. Now you feel accountable. Now you feel, and here's the main thing, you sure as hell don't feel like a victim when you think like that. You feel in control, and that's what we want you to feel because ultimately if you're not accomplishing the things in life that you want to accomplish, including finances, including every aspect of your life, it's not because something was done to you. I realize that some of you have stories to tell, but at the end of the day, everything that happened in your background, if you say, if you accept just for a second, that you are a victim of nothing other than your choices, that 
absolutely is liberating and will make you feel free and powerful. I want you guys to try that even with the, the deepest, darkest things that you think maybe were causing you to be a victim. And here's, here's, the, here's the fascinating thing. I've learned this from doing coaching calls. Sometimes I'll have this very same back and forth, and obviously I do it in a series of questions when I'm coaching somebody. Well, maybe not obvious. You guys wouldn't know if you hadn't had a coach you before, but that's what we do. Everything's a series of questions, you know. Self-discovery is the whole point of coaching. And then what you'll do is you'll, come, you'll stumble across somebody who absolutely feels like a victim of something. And I'm not talking about anything you'd hear on Dr. Phil. I'm just saying business stuff. They absolutely feel like this person took advantage of them, absolutely feel like this person lied to them or whatever, whatever. And then I ask them, I say, well, what would it, how, how do you benefit from holding on to those uh, thoughts of being a victim? I don't think, I'm not, I don't benefit. I, this is a horrible thing. I just, da, 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 da. on and on and on. I say, yes, you do benefit. How do you benefit? And usually this goes back and forth three and four times. And if you guys listen to this podcast, you know I'm dogged. I'm not going to give up. And then they'll finally say, uh, I'll say, if you were to benefit. So I'm manipulating them, but I'll say, if you're, if you're benefiting in three ways from holding on, um, to that thought and, and essentially putting yourself in a position as a, a victim, what would those three ways be? And then they'll actually tell you some shit that's actually truly going on in their head. They might say, well, it gives me permission not to have to ever say, for example, they had a bad experience with a for sale by owner. It gives me permission to never have to essentially solicit another FISBO. Or it makes it so that, you know, whatever. So you, even your thoughts of victim of being a victim or any of your negative thoughts about anything you're choosing to hold on to those because you're getting a benefit maybe subconsciously but you're getting a benefit so when you're going through these points that julie's going to be making because these points are all about money which usually makes people uncomfortable here's the thing i want you to ask yourself if you're not rich at this point in your lives and careers where your money works for you and you no longer have to work for your money if you're not there yet after this incredible, in, in most incredible housing market that seems to go on forever, most incredible economy, most incredible everything, if, in all these wonderful wins at your back, if you haven't been able to accumulate money at this point in your life to the point where you're rich, where your money works for you, you no longer have to work for your money, it's your fault. That's what I want you to start with because when you say it's my fault, when you accept the fact that it's your fault, then you're actually going to make change. If you then, if you ex- choose to externally blame something or feel like a victim or somehow other people had advantages, all this stuff that rattles around people's brain, somebody cheated or, you know, had whatever, whatever, whatever you're telling yourself, if you choose to stay on that path, you're going to stay broke. If you choose to say, I am my present financial situation because of the choices I've made in the past, and I'm now realizing because I'm, I'm not where I wanted to be financially, that maybe my choosing or my thinking about money is kind of screwed up, it's not working for me anymore, then you're going to start opening your mind. You set your ego aside. This victim thinking is all about ego. You, you set your ego aside. Now you're basically going to be in the realm of learning, accepting, and then the massive growth that comes after that will astonish you. That's the reason I started with asking you the question, if you were to try to take your 12-month goals and accomplishments six months or 90 days, could you do it? The answer is all of you could do it. Every single one of you could do it, even about money stuff. So have an open mind, and Julie, the show is yours. Next point, please. Yes, so what we've been talking about is 14 rules for financial peace. So all of these things are related. And I think that we actually got through seven points. So if you missed those, go to realestatecoachingradio.com and get all caught up on yesterday's show. Point number eight, 
actually have a monthly budget for you to practice and stick to it, an actual budget. This will prevent you from, quote, trying out things, overspending on experimental marketing, buying leads, etc. Actually have a monthly budget for it. How many of you guys can tell me I spend, you know, X percent or X number of dollars on my real estate practice? Or is it all about trying it out and maybe tracking it and maybe not, seeing if it works out and maybe not? When we do the real estate treasure map with you guys on a one-on-one basis, it's not unusual because we do force you to do this, okay? As Tim said, it makes you a little bit uncomfortable. You have to get into all of your credit cards, your checkbooks, and see what's going on. It's not unusual for us to find, you know, four or five different things. Sometimes they're like $9 a month, but it was supposed to be like, Somebody monitoring your website that you haven't talked to in six months. Whatever the case may be, do you actually have a monthly budget? So these are 14 rules for financial peace. That was number eight. Number nine, chart your savings goal on a whiteboard, a posted spreadsheet, somewhere you can actually see it grow. Once your reserves are high enough, diversify with stocks, metal, rentals, flips, etc. But actually have it in front of you. You're far less likely to spend your savings I always, teach, I always tease coaching clients. It's not called a spendings account. It's called a savings account. That's why one of our previous points when you were splitting up your money at the bank, when you go with your commission checks, one of those points was your savings account should not have a debit card or a checkbook attached to it. It's savings. Chart it on the wall. Watch it grow. It's not spendings. Anything you want to add to that one, Tim? That's, that's a, definitely a uh, you know, disciplined type thing that they've got to work on. Um, it's the attachment to really to make the accounts work is to make it so you can't sweep from one account or the other. And yes. I know that's the bank that makes you want to try to set it up that way. You don't want to, and, and just to put this in perspective, when we talk about your savings account, here's basically how it works. When you, you follow the treasure map and you listen to the teachings, what we help you guys do to essentially basically turn the corner on, on wealth building, one of the things we're going to encourage you to do is have a manageable personal overhead that you can cover using what your real estate treasure map will tell you is your magic number of listings at all times. I know I'm talking in hieroglyphs right now if you're not a Harris person, but let's just put it this way. The magic number of listings is the number of listings you need at all times to meet or exceed your financial goals. All this stuff fits together like hand and glove. And Harris people, you guys know what I'm talking about. So once you know what your magic number of listings is, once you know what your real estate business plan is, once you basically then start earning money consistently from the sale of your listings, is what we teach you to do in the coaching program, then what happens is you then have the ability to start saving consistently. But where this all goes wrong, and this is, you know, again, we talk about this endlessly, is on your ascension to becoming a millionaire, you know, multimillionaire, decamillionaire, on up, on your ascension to accomplishing that, it's going to seem like you want to go on a shopping spree. And if you've never had any kind of savings before, or had consistent money before, and your pattern of earning and blowing the money is, goes as follows. You earn it, you have some socked away, and you blow it all. Or you have credit cards, you then basically run your credit cards up, and then you panic and pay them all off, and then you run them up again. If that is the pattern that you're following with cash or credit or even both, that pattern is not sustainable. As you grow older, or as you know, the occasional black swan creeps into your life and gives you a little peck in the head, you're going to discover that you cannot continue to live like that because it does catch up to you. Eventually, you're going to build or dig a hole that you're not going to be able to get out of. 
and you're not just going to be able to walk away from that debt and you're going to be maybe too old or the market's going to change or something's going to basically put you in a position where it's not it's going to be easy for you to rebuild again. But that is a very consistent pattern that we see, and that keeps you broke for life. That guaranteed – now, why do people do that? Because you have a disbelief that you'll be able to basically continue to earn money. So what happens is you'll have good months and you go blow all the profit. And why do you do that? Because you feel like celebrating and you don't believe you're going to have money ever again in abundance, and so you go and spend it. And what you do, because your fear that's causing you to spend all your money is for fear that you won't have the opportunity to essentially you know, blow money like that. I've seen this so many times it's not even funny. Hopefully you guys will understand what I'm talking about. Because your fear is that you won't have that kind of excessive money before you go and spend it on stupid consumer things that have no value the second you buy them. Okay, which are fun. I'm not saying don't buy consumer shit. It is fun. You know, there's nothing wrong with buying stuff. That's, you know, we're spiritual beings and physical incarnations at the end of the day. But then what happens is, is that you spend all your money, you get rid of all, you run your credit cards back up, and then you, you know, wash, rinse, repeat. You do it over and over and over again. And, and you never allow your money to work for you because you are spending all your principal. You're spending all your investment money. And people do that because. Okay, you have a good month. You have $20,000 saved. You, for the first time in your life maybe, have had $20,000 in cash that's not you know, denoted to something, a roof or you know, paying off a college tuition bill. And then you start spending it saying, after all, you only live once. Stop and smell the roses and all these other dumb things people say. Then you spend the money. And now where is that really coming from? The, the scarce, it's a scarcity-minded mindset of the thinking that you won't have the opportunity to splurge like that again. Get it? That's where it all happens. And this, this cycle goes back and forth, and people never accumulate anything. When you hear about, I was reading guys' notes from the Wealth X report the other day, the reason that there's such a, a dramatic increase in people with, you know, between, have a very high net worth between $5 million and $30 million, the principal reason there's so many more people in that uh, bracket than there ever has been before isn't because people are cheating on taxes or it's not because of inheritance or not just, again, remove the political bullshit. It's because asset appreciation is working in their favor. They have assets that are appreciating. Assets would be things that are, well, I mean, asset could be just about anything if we're just using the technical term. But for the sake of appreciating assets, you're looking at, you know, really the easy button for you guys is going to be real estate. But the stock market's been appreciating asset if you've had securities. Gold recently has been a very amazing investment, things like that. So when you look at why rich people, generally speaking, once they cross the threshold into that $5 million uh, net worth category, why they, generally speaking, don't take a step back, it's because they've learned the discipline of consistent savings, even when they hit that threshold. But then what they do is they've accumulated assets, and the assets continue to appreciate in value. Like you guys heard, for example, Warren Buffett and all these other people you know, these billionaires, people with you know, tens of billions of dollars in net worth, they're saying, I'm giving my money away. Well, here's what they're doing, and I want you guys to think about what I'm saying, because it's, it's fantastic that they're giving the money away, but they're giving away essentially the appreciation or part of the appreciation on all the assets that they own, for example, in the stock market. So when you looked at, you know, there's a big hoop-de-doo last, you know, 2016 about all these billionaires who are giving away all their money, Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and all this other Okay, well, they've been giving it away. They've been investing it in really amazing things, 100% hats off to them. And yet, when the Forbes richest people in the world list comes out, they're still right where they were before they made that pledge to give all their money away. So what's going on? 
Because when you have freaking $50 billion, the amount of appreciation uh, or the amount of increase in value per year on your assets is going to be in the billions. So if you just give away a part of the appreciation, you never touch your principal. You guys understand what I'm saying here? So get to a point where you don't have to even if – you, if you can't even fathom being a billionaire, that's fine. Just get to the point where you have financial security, and then you have financial independence. And that only comes from being rich where your money works for you and you no longer have to work for your money. And it starts with the consistent savings, which I know is boring, but you've got to do it, just like we prescribed to you yesterday. Julie? Yes, which leads right to our next point, number 10. Once you are debt-free, except perhaps mortgages, pay cash or pay it off monthly to keep yourself out of debt. That ties right into what you said, the whole scarcity mindset about uh, – sorry, my stupid alarm again um, – uh, the scarcity mindset about blowing it because you don't think you're going to have it again. So often we'll see people get out of debt once, celebrate that. That's all awesome. And now their credit's improved and their cash flow is improved. So what do they do? They go right out and get back into debt. And maybe you upgrade your house. That's fine. Maybe upgrade your car. But don't get back into consumer debt. Once all that's paid off, you got to make sure you pay it off, pay cash, and stay that way. It's much better. Hey, Point Julie, number can 11. We, can we drill down? Yeah. You just said something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my, co- my coaching has firmly on today, but this is also worth mentioning. So Julie just said something sure. else. All right, so when, when you basically accumulate money and you've got some money stored away and you've got some security that's basically coming your way, you know, and then you basically stop working as hard, what's going to happen is there's no such thing as complacency. You cannot stay in the same position. So what we're asking you to do isn't just something you do for a short while, then you're there. You have to basically change your mindset about the, essentially the discipline of saving money, and you have to do it consistently. And if it happens in a rudimentary way, like you're literally just saving it into what would be essentially a child's passbook savings account at the bank, don't worry about it because eventually you're going to get there. Eventually you're going to discover because as you pay off your debt – now, savings is not used for debt at retirement. Savings is not used for taxes. Savings is not used for anything else other than savings. And as that account starts to build – First, you start out by stocking away 10%. Then as your debt load from, you know, we teach you this in the treasure map, just text the word Harris to 31996 to get the treasure map. As your debt, overall debt, starts to be paid down and then eventually you start paying things off, you can actually increase the amount of savings that are going to your, um, to your savings uh, account. That's the, real, the point of all this. It's a discipline, guys. It's not necessarily something that you're going to jump up and down about. You're not going to feel the benefits of it for a long period of time, but the benefits will happen, I promise you. Julie, next point. That's right. I've got to scoot to Premier Coaching, but I will uh, do this point, and then maybe we'll have a part three of this. Uh, but this one's a little bit controversial, though, so I'm just going to leave you with this point bomb, and then I'm going over <laughs> Thanks, to Premier. Julie. Okay, point number 11. Help your kids or grandkids figure out how to pay for their own higher education. How about that for a financial point, right? We have coaching clients that are putting that first, and they don't even have their own savings work thing to ruminate on, and I'm going to go over to Premier Coaching and leave you with that one. Well, I'll tell a story, and that was a good tee-up, Julie, and, I'll, and thank you for the great notes. Um, I've had in my coaching career uh, just tens of thousands of coaching calls, and many of them, when we get into the weeds about people's financial situations, what I quickly discover, and, and again, you're gonna, some of you are going to be all crossed up about this, is that you guys are paying – ridiculous amounts of money for your kids' education that you – and you're not saving any money to take care of yourself. 
I've had so many coaching calls with people that were, frankly, you know, Julie and I's age, five years, uh, you know, younger, five years older, who have no money saved for retirement, no money saved to take care of themselves, none. And yet they basically are squirreling away money to pay for kids' private schools and all the rest of it. And here's the thing, and I think, you know, again, I realize this is a total sacred cow for so many people. And maybe you live in an environment where you have no – like where Julie and I live right now in Puerto Rico – it, the public schools aren't even an option just for a variety of reasons. Um, number one being that the English is not the primary language in the public schools here. So Zoe goes to this really amazing school. This is an international school, but it also costs a lot of money. So we don't really have a choice. You might be in a situation like that. Now, many of you do have a choice, and yet you're still sending your kids to these really expensive schools, even though the non-expensive schools or these public schools would do just fine. Why are you doing it? Why are, you, why are you doing that? And here's the answer. You're doing it mostly for ego, not because they're getting a better education or, frankly, not because they need necessarily to have that level of education for whatever career path they'll be going on. So if you're planning on basically paying for your kid's college education at the cost of your own financial security, at the cost of your own retirement, and frankly, your own mental and physical health, that's a mistake. Make them pay for it themselves or, better yet, Maybe they need to maybe really consider the fact that college isn't the path for them to go on. There is so much information that, you know, if you just open your mind to it, you'll realize that essentially a college degree has become so common and ubiquitous, an undergraduate degree, a, you know, just something, a liberal arts degree. It's become so normal that nobody really has an advantage anymore like they used to. Like when Julie and I were starting to look at colleges back in the late 80s, you know, I had a partial scholarship, Julie did too, and all the rest of it. But here's the thing. Back then, not everyone went to college. Back then, when you had an undergraduate degree, let alone an MBA, it mattered. Nowadays, it doesn't. You run into people in your normal life who have these fancy degrees in, in just absolute ridiculousness that they'll never be able to get a job for, and yet you guys are the ones that are suffering for it. So you're sending your you, – all this hoop-de-do – about student loans, well, what about the sacrifices the parents had to make? Because student loans, generally speaking, do not cover the whole tab. So if you're, you know, if you're essentially sacrificing your mental and physical health for the sake of your kid's education, and you know your kid is going to go to college and get some degree in something that he or she will never be able to basically uh, you know, get a job for doing, why are you paying for that? <laughs> why are you doing that? And it all comes back to basically ego. Because you want to basically say your kid goes to this school. You want to say your kid's going to this college. You want to say all these types of things. But is that really worth it? Is, that, is it really worth the sacrifice that you're making? What could you actually do with that money that would be maybe more beneficial to you and your family? I know one. You could actually start saving some money, pay off your house, have some financial security, start spending some more time with your family. It, these are just things you guys need to seriously consider. I know that particular point. This is the reason Julie just left it from she, you know, basically gave me the grenade with a pin pulled on that point. But that's something that some of you guys need to seriously consider. Is college really even necessary anymore? Did is it is it even worth doing? What is it the kids are learning in college? Do you are you in alignment with some of the values that these kids are learning in school, in college nowadays? Is that really what you want to be paying for? Are you sure? Have you actually taken the time to look? Are you basically just following this old software of the belief that you went to college, you kids have to go to college? And some of you or say things like, well, my parents paid for my college, so I'm you know, somehow morally obligated to pay for my kids' college. No, you're not. 
You're not morally obligated to pay for your kid's college because guess what? When your parents paid for your college, it costs as much as, I mean, nothing. <laughs> you know, I mean, when Julie and I went to school, I went to, you know, three different universities, and uh, Julie went to two, and one of the schools we went to together was Ohio State University. When we went to OSU, the total quarterly tuition was like 850 bucks. When you went to school, probably most of you, it was that or less. And now what does it cost to go to OSU for a quarter? I don't even know. I'm guessing it's probably five, six, maybe 8000 And this is the largest university on the face of the planet. And I promise you the education you receive there is not that great because there's so many people. Back when we went there, there were 60,000 kids that went to Ohio State University. Think about that. You think they're really giving a crap about quality of education? Not really. So moral of the story of what I'm trying to share with you guys is when you start benchmarking, well, my parents paid for my college education or for my kids, and I, now I have to do the same thing. They, your parents were basically not having to save as much money and sacrifice as much to accomplish the same goal. So just maybe think about that. Maybe reconsider that path, and maybe then start putting some of that money towards your own debt retirement and your own financial future. Because I got news for you. Your kid that graduates in the, you know, I don't even know, the performing arts degree with a focus on whatever, whatever, and never gets a job other than Starbucks, you think that kid is going to actually start earning enough money to make it so that you don't have any financial worries? Remember I told you guys this the other day on the start of the podcast, and I got this a statistic from the Social Security Administration's website, which is amazing. Um, by the, and again, I shared this with you guys too. If you guys are into wonkish analytical information about money, go to the Social Security Mission, uh, Administration's website. They're the greatest gatherers of facts you'll ever discover. So one of the things I discovered was that essentially, I don't remember the exact number, but it was essentially 90 or 95% of all Americans when they reach retirement age at 67 is either dependent on the government or their family or usually both to basically pay their bills. So if they have a family member that will chip them a little bit of money in that down, then that's fine. But most people, essentially, when they reach retirement age, Americans, when they reach retirement age, are basically 100% dependent on their Social Security checks. They've never saved any money. They have no real assets. Maybe they've paid off their house and things of that nature. So their golden years, if people even say that anymore, are essentially living maybe above the poverty line. And then if they had to do all that over again, and they look back to where they were spending their money. I wonder if they would have paid for Johnny and Susie's education and, you know, pottery and women's studies in Oberlin and, you know, that cost, you know, $55,000 a year. I wonder for an undergraduate degree. I wonder if they would have done that. Why did they do that? What was the whole thought behind that? See, guys, this is what I'm telling you. Some of the reasons you haven't accumulated more money and you're not on the path to accumulate more money is you're still following software that's obsolete. The times have changed. Everything's changed. If you really want to do your, your kid a favor, here's the best idea for you. Get them into something that's going to allow them to actually earn a living. Okay, That's really basically it. Get them to do perhaps a trade. Get them to do something. You know, Research, and I know some of you guys are going to roll your eyes at this thought, but research to see what the average plumber in the United States, States makes versus the average you know, liberal arts degree graduate uh, kid at the same age. The plumber earns like five times as much. And it's projected that the income that kid will get for, or a person will get from just doing that trade will be more. But why don't parents encourage kids to do trades? Why do you think? Because they want to brag about Susie and Johnny going to, you know, some ridiculous schools, you know, studying some socially approved do-gooder type thing that somehow makes them parents feel that. It's all ego. 
So if you really want to help yourself and help your family, maybe, again, load up some new software, at least challenge your assumptions and beliefs that you have with regards to these types of topics. That's all we're supposed to do on the show is we're just trying to be fire starters to help you guys maybe hit the hard reset button. Not all these concepts are going to resonate with all of you. I get it, you know, and, and I totally understand. But for some of you, this very thought is probably going to be transformative. Maybe you were planning on, you know, working your knuckles to the bone and putting away $50,000 your kids' educations, but you realize your kids probably aren't, if, you know, go, if they go to college, they're not going to go to expensive schools. They're not going to get, you know, they're going to do things that are probably not going to line them up for gainful employment when they get out of school. Maybe you should rethink that. Maybe that's not the smart move. You know, I mean, Julie and I, um, we, when Zoe was born, we fully funded her 529. And that's the way to do it if you ever have anyone that's basically, you know, when you fund their 529s and their kids, it's the way to go because it's, it's as, as cheap as it's going to be. But I told Julie, if Zoe gets to the point when she's graduating from high school, if she's not going to be you know, using the money that we set aside to go to college to get a degree in something that's going to give her a job, I told Julie she ain't getting it because we're not going to waste that money. It's ridiculous. Why would you do that? What college has become for most kids is basically four years of partying. Well, let's be honest, more like five or six years of partying because nobody graduates anymore in four years. Interesting thoughts, right? Totally off our beaten path, but things you should consider. So listen, guys, thank you for continuing to make this number one listen to daily podcast for agents, probably in the world, but that's a little bold, so I'll say definitely in the United States. Do us a favor, share this information with other people you know. Help us continue to basically have this be such a popular show. We're going to do things in the next uh, three or four months that you're going to all benefit from. The Tony Robbins event in Dallas is something we're really excited about. We're going to give you more information on that. And like I said, I'll announce how you can get your free tickets to the Tony Robbins event uh, sometime, maybe probably Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, sometime next you know, week or so. And it's gonna, we only you know, essentially 100 tickets. So we've got 100 tickets. Whoever grabs them first is who's going to get them. You're gonna, we're going to have you complete a little simple survey, things like that, just to answer questions. Basically, I don't want to be giving the tickets away because they weren't free. These tickets cost $200 each. I don't want to give these tickets away to somebody who's not going to show up. So there it is. All right, guys. So listen, anytime you need me for anything, feel free to email me. Uh, I'm sorry. I always say email. Isn't that weird? Text me, 512-758-0206. Text me if you want to talk about uh, coaching, if you want to talk about joining our EXP Realty Group, just text me at 512 512- 758-0206. In the meantime, you guys have a fantastic day. We'll talk to you on the show tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, Thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris.